Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the NJ Podcast. This podcast aims to share stories, tips and insights about achieving success while having fun. From topics ranging from personal development to business, entertainment and sports, the podcast will have conversations with experts and people in their respective fields. The podcast will also share insights from Jabra James's published and upcoming books. The tagline, which is the theme of the podcast, is success is a progressive realization of a worthy ideal. This means that you are doing what you have always wanted to do because it is aligned with your highest values and this is the only way you can live a truly fulfilled life. Your host, Jablo James. Hey everybody, this is uh, NJ here, host of the NJ podcast and I am here with someone who I went to school with way back, all the way from Benoni, bro. Um, and this is uh, the second season of the NGA Podcast Conversations. Um, and remember that the tagline of this uh, um, show is that success is a progressive realization of a worthy ideal. What that means is that you're going after what you've always wanted to go after, not because somebody else is forcing you to do so, uh, because that is the only way as you can truly live a truly fulfilled and inspired life. And on the show today, I have Adrian Conradi. He is a music DJ and enthusiast and a producer and basically wants to take over Kanye's spot. I think that's what, <laughs> that's what he's after. That's what he's after. Um, and, and right now he's uh, just taking uh, what we call sort of like a, a sabbatical and just trying to just refocus and re-energize so that at the end of the day, he'll be able to uh, come back stronger and faster into the music game. Uh, so Adrian, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, good to have you. So other than my introduction of you, can you please just tell the people who is Adrian, why is Adrian, and where is Adrian going? Well, I mean, I should start by saying that most people don't know me as Adrian. Most of them know me as Aiden K. And that, that was kind of a transition I yeah. made. I used to be DJ AD. That yeah. was like my, my Benoni persona. Okay, <laughs> How it started out, I mean, it was like the most natural thing to just pick a nickname that people had for me and go, yeah. okay, well, this is my DJ name. Yeah. And then kind of around 2015, I decided that now if I want to take this seriously and I want to like, I, I want to envision myself as an artist and somebody that people see on stage. I can't be like DJ 80. That sounds like the guy that plays at like news cafe yeah, or, <laughs> or, or, or Presley's or something like that. Yeah, so I was like, yeah, yeah. okay, well, what is the stage name? So then my middle name is Aiden. So I thought, okay, well, let me use that and figure out a way to, to make it sound like a name. And I mean, mm. people now, more people now know me as Aiden K than they do as Adrian. So that yeah. was basically the intention behind that. So, I mean, it was, it was something that I long, dreamed of uh as a child i guess to to want to like be a musician mm. um i never really pursued it seriously as a child yeah i i kind of fooled around i, I my parents bought me a guitar i played in yeah. a band i mean sometimes since used to have a have like a a, a church band because St. Dunstan's had the school and then they had the church and yeah I used to play in the church band on on fridays and sundays that yeah. kind of thing um and then i discovered house music and that mm. was like that for me was like a revelation. I used to go to you parties back in the day and like watch oh, the old you parties. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, watch watch the guys play. And I I just remember thinking, I can't remember who it was. It was either Fresh or or, or DJ Clear. Like mm. when DJ Clear was like massive. But back to the I don't back. know where he, where did he go. <laughs> <laughs> he's still around. I mean, he still releases music. But like I think hands up for me was like watching him play it. To, okay, cool. It was maybe like 600 white kids, but it was like <laughs> this revelation. Like that, that was what house music was back then. It wasn't mm -hmm. like a 
cultural segregation of like, I listen to this or yeah, you yeah. listen to that. It was like, it just, people resonated with it across boundaries. And I just remember thinking, this is what I want to do. Mm. And I started buying CDs and mixed CDs and soul candy CDs and mm-hmm. like, like DJs that I, I had knew nothing about. I mean, I knew literally nothing about it. Yeah. I didn't know anybody in the scene. Yeah. I didn't know anything about it. And I was like, okay, well, the only way to learn is to, like, I would go to look and listen to music and buy a CD and yeah. think, okay, uh, this must be what it is. And I'll, I'll never forget, like, one of the first gigs I ever played. I mean, I knew nothing. I went to the gig and I, I just was playing, like, mixed CDs that were already mixed. Yeah. So, like, for people who don't know, like, DJs, you, you don't, like, buy a CD from the store and then you go and play it. You, like, back in the day, you used to buy vinyls and vinyls would have, like, a radio edit and, like, mm. an extended version. And yeah. DJs play extended versions so you can mix two songs together. Yeah. But compilations are something completely different. Mm. DJs have mixed it already so like i'm busy playing like this song that's actually already mixed yeah thinking like this is what you do yeah and, I mean, and it was a, a very steep learning curve for me <laughs> and then and then i met a good friend who we both know uh it, his name was dj farisi dj farisi yeah jared jared oh yeah jared jared and he he's actually like he was like a mentor to me because he he was like getting into the DJ thing and he was getting a few gigs here and there playing mm-hmm. like school things and that kind of thing. And he taught me how to mix. And, mm-hmm. and from that day, I was like, I remember I finished my trick, went on holiday with my parents after mm-hmm. that. I was sitting like, must have been like middle of January, like two weeks before I'd, I'd, I'd signed up for university. I'd signed up to go and do some rubbish degree at tax. I think mm-hmm. it was like BCom business management or something. Mm-hmm. And I told them like two weeks before, listen, this isn't for me. Or oh, two weeks before you went. Two big two weeks before I was meant to go for like orientation. Dude, how are you still alive? <laughs> they were, I don't know. They were very supportive. They were just like, okay, well, we respect your decision, but you can't not do anything. Okay. Like you have to do something. And, yeah. And I got into sound engineering, and that was also a waste of time. I mean, I thought I was when I when I decided I wanted to get into like music production. I thought, yeah. well, every other, well, most other careers. I mean, what do you know at eighteen? Like most mm. other careers, cool, and you've got to study, you've got to follow this path that's set mm. out before you, and mm. then you'll get to a point where, okay, now I know enough to make a career of it. But the reality is sound engineering doesn't prepare you for yeah. what being a DJ or a music producer is. I mean, mm. it's it's a course that was drawn up by people that didn't make it themselves. <laughs> so, so why are you going to listen to someone who hasn't made it themselves? That's the biggest thing, especially with like music production. Whereas yeah. if you think about like, the guys that do festivals and concerts and do the live sound, they're, they're practitioners. Whereas mm. like the guys that were teaching you how to make music have never released the song on a label. They always mm. like been a friend's label or they've mm. mixed some country artists. But like for me as somebody that wanted to get into electronic music, mm. I was like, no, this isn't for me. I, yeah. I've sought through, but I was like, this is the last few months. I was like, I'm not taking this seriously. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. isn't going to get me where I want to yeah. go. Um, and then I was very fortunate that, like, while I was studying, I got an opportunity to start working for Soul Candy. Mm. Um, and that seems was just... To, seems to be where a lot of people start. Yeah, because, I mean, most people wanted to, wanted to be there, especially when they were running the label as a fully-fledged record label, releasing artists, signing mm. artists, mm. Um, doing compilations. And then the music industry just took a, a turn, I would say, almost for the worst for a label like that that was so heavily reliant on compilations and not invested in a catalog of signing artists yeah. and building a catalog for them because when streaming came along and the, the revenue decreased for them mm. as a label, they just 
they couldn't survive. Mm. Um, and that was sort of where I got my start and moved around to different roles and eventually made the decision about 2017 that music was going to be what I was going to do full time, left mm -hmm. the job. Um, I had a, a kind of supplementary income of managing other artists mm -hmm. and I pursued that until, I guess, this year. Mm. And then I had to make another plan to, <laughs> to be able to, to survive financially and also just emotionally having to yeah. not deal with the strain of yeah. lockdown level this, lockdown level this, yeah. adjusted this, uh, <laughs> 50 <laughs> people, <laughs> 20 people. What that means. No, yeah. nobody does. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no science behind how they decide. They just decide and you follow. Mm. Mm. So uh, what, what, like, what, what would you give, uh, what advice would you give to someone who wants to start out in music production and DJing now? in today's day and age? I get that question quite a lot, especially on like people on Instagram from young producers that mm. like, for me, when I started learning how to make music, YouTube was like very much a place where people uploaded like cat videos. And um, <laughs> I mean, there wasn't like, if you go onto YouTube now and you search like how to make even something like I'm a piano, there's yeah. like five or six guys that are showing you how to make it like really well. Yeah. I mean, at the, 2009 2010 like youtube was popular and mm. they were they were peak content creators but they weren't content creators that were as i would say skilled in being able to show you what they're doing and building basically careers out of just teaching you how to make something for free mm. um so i think that most people think like okay well i see a, a euphonic or a, a dj fresh or a mm. If you have to look, uh, these are guys that are, okay, maybe it doesn't apply so, so much now because there's been this sh shift from like DJs being famous to like music producers being famous. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's, you can use that term loosely because there's a lot of music producers or people who are famous for making music who don't make their own music. Yeah. Um, who like pay younger guys to make it. So how, what, what practice do you call it? Because I know in, in writing you say that uh, you have a ghost writer. It's, it's, it's the you. same. It's a ghost producer. Oh, ghost producer. It's kind okay. of like you you have, you're the face of the product, but mm. somebody else is actually putting in most of the, the work into creating that. And, and there are some people who are okay with that, being ghost, whatever. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, some people, well, for one, most people don't have the, I guess, the, the ability to sell themselves as an mm. artist. And, I mean, that's something that I struggled with as well. I mean, part of being an artist isn't only how can I, uh, how can I get gigs by making music? It's like, how can I actually network? How can I sell myself to mm. people? How can I sell myself to an audience? Like mm. some people just don't have that in them. And maybe for, I would say most ghost producers, nobody gets into it thinking, oh, I'm going to be a ghost producer. They yeah. usually find they a lot somewhere along the path. They realize that their talent is probably better used working behind the scenes than yeah. sort of in front of the camera on the stage. So yeah. they kind of get into this, rhythm of working for other artists and producing beats and selling them and i mean they can make a lot of money i mean if mm. you if you think of somebody like back in the day like scott storch was dr yeah, dre's producer hot. yeah, yeah. and i mean it, yeah. he, he made a ton of hits and mm. i mean nobody knew about him until really the internet became a thing and people were like oh so still dre wasn't actually dre's beat it was mm, scott, scott storch so in by that sense like it's been going on for a long time it's not just some recently but now you can have a, a kid in Stockholm or the middle of Europe or even like America where they can be 16, 17 years old making tracks for like these bigger touring DJs because mm -hmm. they'll be sent him as a promo and the guy will be like, hey, can I pay you a couple of 
yours. Yeah. <laughs> you'll you'll just sign this beat, and yeah. I'll, I'll I'll release it as as me. So it, it's something that I don't know if people are okay with it. Um, as a as, I wouldn't say the consensus is that people are okay with it. Like there's been cases in the last couple of years where it's come out that people have bought beats and people thought it was the artist and they mm-hmm. feel betrayed. But ultimately, people like the music. They don't really. Most of the time, they don't really care who makes it. They're no, just kind no, of like, ah, okay, I really like, especially in electronic yeah. music. It's not like if okay. you had to find out, uh, well, even, I mean, if it, it's something that comes from pop music as well. Yeah. I mean, if you listen to a Justin Bieber track, yeah. Justin Bieber didn't write that. He might have, <laughs> he might have like helped write a melody line yeah. or something. But I mean, there's teams of people that work on, mm. on like pop music like that. And, that's just the way the music industry works. Yeah, I just, I just, I was starting to think about it. I was thinking of just listening about comedians and rappers. I was asking myself, where do they get all this time to come up with all this material and just tour and still have side hustles and businesses to run? And um, then it occurred to me, maybe they have a team helping them out here. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the same thing goes for DJs and music producers. Like, mm. if you think of somebody like, David Guetta, mm. where where do you find the time to <laughs> to make music when you're touring? Like, and even even if you do manage to find time, the, the likelihood of you being the one that sits and finishes it is very mm. low. Like, I know there's been stories of like people like Skrillex or Diplo like making a beat and then yeah. like on tour and they make this and then they send it to somebody else that mixes it or finishes it up. And that's, yeah. I mean that's uh, I don't, I don't particularly see anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, where uh, some of these guys play like two hundred to two hundred and fifty days out of the year, yeah, like that's literally like Monday to Friday, yeah. and you're getting like you're getting obviously it doesn't work that way, but you're literally getting like two days off a week, yeah, that you're not playing. And you then, still have to fly and do all that sort of yeah. stuff. Where are you going to get the time? Exactly, yeah. and that was the interesting thing about COVID is when everyone was locked in their houses, a lot of people assumed. And a lot of people sort of made this big deal on social media. Like, oh, I'm going to get so much done. Yeah. I'm going I'm to take up a hobby. I'm going to learn a skill. I'm going to yeah. do this. And what did we end up doing? Sitting on our phones on the couch watching Netflix. Like yeah. nobody went like maybe after a couple of months, people are like, okay, yeah, actually, I need to do this. great, man. I... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like binge watch series. And yeah. you kind of saw it with artists and it started like peaking its head. Sort mm. of, I would say sort of middle of last year where it was like, okay, cool. We'll do this for three weeks. Mm. Or, Okay, now it's going to be five weeks. Okay, mm. now it's going to be two months. And then mm. people started to realize this isn't going anywhere. Yeah. I need to start doing stuff again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and people started, then like, I, I would have conversations with people. They'd be like, oh, so what are you doing? Like, where's the new music? Like, you must be so busy in the studio now. And it's like, well, if you realize what music means to like a, a producer, it's not yeah. just like a production line. Like, yeah, I'm going to create this and I'm going to release it. And yeah. it's like a, a product that a company is making. It's like, there's, it's a personal thing to make mm. music. And mm. when you make it, you want people to hear it. Yeah. Um, and the pe- majority of the people that listen to our music anyway, listen to it when they're out, they've been drinking alcohols banned. Yeah. I mean, we could see it on Spotify. Like yeah. with the artists that I work with, the numbers decreased every time alcohol was banned and increased yeah. every time. time alcohol was yeah, it was, there was a direct <laughs> correlation, but, I mean, uh, I heard someone t- say to me that uh, DJs sell alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I just heard it. I was like, it's an interesting no, uh, take I, on it. I, yeah, I mean, if you think about the whole nightlife infrastructure, I mean, mm. it feeds more people than just the DJs themselves. Yeah. It, it's it's the people who sell the alcohol, mm. the, 
the nightclubs, the staff, the, mm. even down to the people that clean the the venue. Yeah. It's not just. I mean, that was that was kind of the. It's something that I spoke about in the documentary that I did. Was like mm. the people that are most affected by this are the people that most people aren't aware of. Yeah, and people would look at like, okay, well. I see this DJ is doing a gig, especially when lockdown regulations were kind of eased. You would see people doing shows with probably too many people, that, mm. according to the regulations. Yeah. But they would sort of vilify the the DJs and the the artists and be like, "How dare you? It's a pandemic!" And then yeah. you realize that everyone—it's an entire value chain that has been locked out of the economy that's mm. been unable to work. And the the biggest irony is people who would say like, "Oh, well, you just find something else to do," and like in a time where like there's the highest youth unemployment rate okay mm. let's just find something else to do it's let's it's hard exactly it's hard enough when you're qualified to do something else yeah to find a job now yeah. you want people who have qualified or you know, who don't, might not have like a professional qualification who've been doing this for 20 years some people especially when we talk about the the sort of bottom of the value chain like the mm. people who aren't formally educated how are they meant to just find something else to do? Yeah. What what avenues do they have to find something else to do? And you would see these people saying this on social media. And, do me a favor, please. <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of here. That's, That's what I'd say to them. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like, okay, you have your corporate job that you have now, all that about your life that has changed is you don't go into the office. You, mm. you have your, you're fortunate enough to have a, a study where you can set up your your little office space and yeah. you can work from and your life carries on but yeah. our lives don't carry on yeah and that was that was for me was like this year was my i would say the objective for this year wasn't actually to try and make music it was trying to raise awareness around mm. what is actually happening to yeah to the industry that I care so much yeah, about. Yeah, because I saw you, uh, were you on, was it ENCA or was it uh, yeah. SABC? I saw both. you on that. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, oh you're on both. both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you were busy preaching the gospel of how <laughs> uh, the music industry has taken a hit and what we should do about that. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. correct. Because uh, So fortunately, when I, I got an opportunity to start working for a PR agency yeah. in April this year, and mm. because they have these kind of connections, when I released the documentary, they said they'd help me out to just promote it. And I mean, they got me some really great opportunities to, yeah. for example, and I mean, I, I spoke on most radio stations, Metro, yeah. 702, Cape Talk, Radio 2000, like all of these major platforms. And when when I, I sort of put the documentary together, it was really only meant to be like for the industry, I guess. Mm. It was never meant to be like speaking about it on these platforms. It was speaking to people that I'm familiar with, who I'm friendly with, or who I consider myself yeah. good friends with, mm. and trying to basically raise awareness within the industry not so much using it as a platform to go like outside of because i knew i'd never change people's minds because mm. people it's a very polarizing topic so it was a case of well the people in the music industry at the moment who are feeling like they're alone and mm. or they're feeling like they they're falling behind because they feel demotivated they don't yeah. feel like they're quite as successful as they want to be they, mm. they're feeling down they don't feel motivated to go out and make music i was in that position and I felt like surely I can't be the only one. And I yeah. was having conversations with people and they're like, yeah, look, I feel the same. Like I thought it was only me. Mm. And then I put the documentary out and it was like all these people coming and saying, thank you for putting this out there because mm. I was feeling exactly the same and mm. nobody's talking about it. Everybody's yeah. talking about all these other sectors, tourism that are yeah. struggling. 
nobody's talking about entertainment. Mm. And, I, and the biggest irony for me was now that there's this vaccine drive by government, like the first sector that they went to to try and like convince people to get vaccinated was entertainment and sports. Yeah. And it was like those were the two, okay, sports you kind of could, like to an extent all these, it was still struggling because there was no fans. But mm. ultimately you could still, there were still teams playing and still, people still working. But like entertainment, entertainment was shut down. And they were like the first, it was, you would see like DJs and artists that they promote, like they tried to uh, approach to basically be like, hey, we need you to, to go and uh, post on social media to encourage your fans that if they want to return to gigs, they've got to get vaccinated. And I was so like, wait a minute, you shut us out. <laughs> you vilify us the most. And I'm speaking as if I'm a person in the industry. You do all of that to us now. You have, you expect us to be the first people to get this vaccine. Yeah. How does that make any sense? Well, not even just that. I mean, the, the money that was meant to be distributed to artists, that's another contentious issue because they earmarked 300 million that they were going to distribute. I mean, by comparison to other countries like Germany, they were earmarking like 4 billion euros. Mm. Granted, they have a lot bigger economy, yeah, especially yeah. the contribution that entertainment makes to that. But I mean, if you in the documentary, I spoke about the fact that like the contribution to the GDP that the South African music industry makes is in the billions. Mm. Surely you can't take like 10% of that and allocate it to people who haven't been able to work at all yeah. for 18 months. Mm. It's only now that, especially if you look at, cool, maybe smaller venues, but if you think about touring artists that were mm. playing to 30, 40,000 people yeah. or, or the the companies that built the infrastructure to be mm. able to do that. I mean, the dome closed, that was sold. That was so, that was so sad. You see, and this, yeah. uh, this is the thing, is that uh, there was no support and the support that there was meant to be I mean, you could have a whole conversation or whole podcast around how mm. funds are mismanaged, but <laughs> Let's like, do that. They, <laughs> they were basically... Some people still waiting for the 350. Yeah, they didn't get that. <laughs> I mean, somebody actually, it was quite interesting. I, had an, I can't remember what, I think it was SAFM. I can't remember mm. who I was speaking to. And I said to on in the, in the interview after the podcast came out, I mean, after the documentary came out, and she said, I basically made the statement that like the money that was meant to be distributed wasn't distributed properly. And she mm. said, no, that, that can't be true because I know, pe I know people that have been, have received money. And I was like, yes, I received money myself too. Mm -hmm. But you're now saying that you have allocated 300 million. You've only listed 600 people that you've allocated that to. Mm. That makes no sense where you've only distributed like 6,000 rand here and there. How have you distributed 300 million, 300 million yeah. to 600 people? Yeah. That's, like 50,000 rand each. Mm. How? That, that, that makes no sense. Or 500, I don't know, mass is bad. But yeah. either 500, and that's, it, it doesn't work like that. Mm. Um, and this, these are like numbers that people were reporting on, like actual investigative journalists were mm. reporting. on. So, I mean, yes, you might know some people that got like six grand over three months. Is, but what are you going to do with that? Exactly. Idea? And I mean, yes, it's, it's, it's something. But, and this is this was the thing was like nobody's saying well we we want money for nothing yeah we we want like a handout yeah. no, we want to be able to work mm. rather give that money to the people that can't work but allow us to work within the confines of something that allows us to do it relatively safely whether it's mass testing or mm. it's now that vaccines are being rolled out it's there's still no there's no roadmap yeah. this is the thing you look at other countries they've gone especially the UK it was like 
we reach this target by April, we'll be open by May. Mm. There's nothing like that in this mm. country. It's just like, oh, okay, well. Maybe one day it will yeah. be level four. Well, Maybe we'll yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like there's, there's no certainty. And you yeah. can see it with, I mean, a lot of people got burnt last year. They, they anticipated, okay, we, we level one now. We're going to stay at level one. Oh. And they started planning big events in December. And yeah, just like that, it mm. was... And I mean, in the documentary, I spoke to a guy that owns a company called Howler and their big ticketing platform. Mm. They must have had to have issued refunds for thousands of events that were meant to happen in December. And I mean, if running a business, it's about cash flow. And like all of a sudden you go from like two months where you're sort of like building up to getting back to normal and then nothing no, for another back. And, and uh, that was the thing that a lot of people said was like January this year was like the darkest place for them because mm. it went from, okay, well, we, we'll get through this. Like we can sort of see, okay, maybe maybe two months, maybe three months. Okay, you can see like the UK and Europe are opening up. Cool, we're going to plan. We're opening up. Cool. And then it was just shut again. Mm. And everyone's plans and hopes that the things were going to get better for them. That When we went into level whatever it was in December over New Year's, mm. a lot of people in the entertainment industry were in a dark space. Because mm. they couldn't do anything about it, right? Yeah, and, and it was a case of, well, we had this hope that things were going to get better, and it mm. was the rug was just pulled out from underneath us. Mm. As people in entertainment, hospitality, you, you guys thrive off of venues, events, alcohol, all of that was gone. And now because there's not much that you can do. Well, this, this, this was the interesting thing was like, I, I remember putting out a meme. I don't know if you've seen it. It was that like, um, I can't remember the scene. It's like James Franco about to be hung. Oh, And he's like, yeah, it's your first time here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and when the, when was it? It was June or July when the hospitality industry, when they, when they closed, sit down restaurants again. Mm. And I remember making a meme of like the entertainment industry was James Franco oh, yeah. and the guy that was like looked shocked was the hospitality industry because it was like oh this is your, your first time, time. <laughs> like like people were shocked that the hospitality industry was closed again and it was yeah. like yeah this is what we've been dealing with as an entertainment industry for the entire 18 months mm -hmm. like you guys had the ability to trade pretty much freely mm -hmm. granted it's it's definitely when alcohol's taken away like they struggle mm -hmm. like the thing that blew my mind was I think it was man August, September last year when alcohol was still banned and like we were easing lockdown restrictions and Kosozlan and Glaminizuma said, oh, well, not everybody who goes out to eat drinks. And it's like, yes, yeah. that's true. But if you understand how this industry works and if you actually were consulting with people, you'd mm -hmm. understand that like alcohol makes up a very big percentage, yeah, the majority of the money that these venues, especially when you think about like the, the more premium venues, like, mm -hmm. like I, I don't know how, most of them stayed open and most of them didn't stay open. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's just not, that's not just something here. I mean, that's something globally, but it's a case where we, we were kind of, I feel like on a train where as a South Africa are kind of sitting at the back and like somebody else is making all the decisions and we're mm. just kind of getting thrown around at yeah, the back. Yeah, we're just, just the, going with it. Like yeah, we're driven just, and yeah. tossed by the wind. Yeah. Exactly. And okay, well, we see what this country's doing. Okay, well, now we're going to follow that mm. or we're going to see what this country's doing. We're going to follow it. And that was something with the digital mm. vaccine. Sorry, I can talk about this for a very long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. The digital vaccine certificates. I mean, I remember because my parents live in Italy 
They and live in Italy right yeah, now. Yeah, live there right now. So I haven't seen them. Italy, in... Italy was hit really yeah. hard. Like, I don't know, was the prime minister who said, I think well, last year, said, all we can do now is pray. Yeah, literally. Like, I mean, it was, it was a clip scared. that was circulating on social media when, like, Italy was bad. And it mm. was, like, all the, the, like, mayors and little governors of the different districts, like, basically swearing at people, telling mm. them to, like, stay at home. And, like, mm. um, and I remember listening to a, I think it was an interview on ENCA or they were reporting on something and when the so most of Europe is operating on like a QR code system and here mm. we, we were, when you get vaccinated you get the little paper and that's pretty much all you had until like two weeks ago mm. and they basically uh, the government said or the one of the health ministers or deputy or whoever he was basically said no no we're not going to look into QR codes because they're easily manipulated it's like Okay. okay. <laughs> like a piece of paper is not. Okay. Yeah, okay. Right. whatever you say. And I mean, that's the thing. It was like we weren't. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, if you want to like get removed off the red list, mm. you got to have some kind of QR code system. And all of a sudden they scrambled to do it. And, and okay, now, now we have a QR code QR system. Oh and that's the thing is, especially in the industry that I'm in, we can't carry on with this, this say, uncertainty like mm. there has to be some kind of concrete plan exactly yeah and without it people are like afraid to plan too far ahead mm. you you literally at this stage plan two weeks in front of you and hope for the yeah, best that's that's no way to live especially no. in this, uh, this industry i think most of us have felt pretty safe that like it will be this way until after the election <laughs> <laughs> we've been like yeah, okay, yeah we, we can we can get away with doing some parties I mean, why should i miss out on the next ultra because we can't plan like <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's a that's a big consideration like how does a how does a, a festival like ultra plan for february 2022 when you just don't know um, there's no way to know whether we're going to be in another lockdown or people, other countries are going to be in a lockdown. I mean, China at the moment is. So as, a, as an industry, we're kind of in a position where we're very much at the whim of whatever the government dictates. Mm. And all we can do is hope. That's all we can do. It's just, just hope and pray. We just hope and pray because there's, we have no say. There's no one consulting with us going, mm. How can we do this safely? What can we do? Nobody's invested in actually finding a way forward. It's just mm -hmm. kind of like, how can we keep afloat? Exactly. So, but my question to you is like, well, how are you planning on? <laughs> we just talked about it, you can't plan for it. <laughs> but what is your outlook for the future from a music perspective? Because well, that's, 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 that's what you want to do, is what you mm -hmm. love doing. Um, what is your plans going forward? Well, that's the other thing. I mean, what. What worked in the music industry 10 years ago, five years ago, two years ago, those avenues are no longer as relevant as mm. what they are at the moment. Example? Good example is radio. If okay. you had to think about your song being on 5FM five years ago versus it being on 5FM now, it's not the same. And it's nothing to say that they've done wrong. It's just mm. a case of people's, I would say, reliance on a platform like that to discover new music has diminished mm. as other platforms have grown so tiktok i mean mm. it, it kind of went uh radio or i guess it was like radio tv radio mm. and then it went into social media like platforms like soundcloud and now it's like tiktok mm. um if you're not big on tiktok people don't really know your music um and i mean that that's fine because you can't you can't uh resist change but mm. 
it does have a negative implication on artists who kind of want to do it for the sake of passion mm. and uh, just making the best product they can. Mm. The avenues, and I mean, if you if you have to think about somebody like Adele, yeah, she just released a new album. Easy on me, right? Fantastic voice, fantastic artist. I don't think there will be another Adele in five years' time, unless because if you look at what's come up in the last two years, mm. Billie Eilish, fantastic voice, but she didn't sell herself on "I'm just an artist." It was "I'm the whole look." I can buy. I can get young kids to buy into me because mm. I have this edgy and then mm. like the whole persona was mm. around something that she was trying to sell. Um, so this pure classical yeah. artist like Adele. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you can have another one because mm. that's not what sells. That's not right what now. gets people clicking. People mm. know her now and they, mm. they, this is the kind of thing with music is like once people know you mm. enough that you can r- rely on that mm. and carry on being consistent, mm. like you're pretty much sorted. Mm. Um, and that's always fascinating about an artist like Drake. He's like he he's managed to remain consistent and never fade, just because he's managed to align himself with the people that are always up and coming. Mm. Like he he's always not far removed from whoever's the latest, yeah, biggest thing. Um, that's smart. Yeah, that's very smart. And just as you think, like, okay, well, we've forgotten about Drake, then something else comes, comes out, back. and you're like, yeah. yeah, okay, I still love this guy. And yeah. And that's, as an artist, you kind of, you put in a difficult position where you have to balance what's going to sell with what you actually want to do mm. uh, from, a, from a sort of internal passion point of view. Mm. Um, so for me, it's really just a case of carrying on, trying to keep afloat for mm. the time being until we, we have more certainty. Mm. Um, and then just the, the thing with music as well, it's just about being consistent, mm. but not to the level where you're like just bashing your head against the wall with no results. Mm. Um, it's a case of being consistent enough that you can mm. build, that people know when you've released something new. Mm. Okay, we, we kind of know what to expect. Yeah. But as I said, like if, if I have to look at other artists in South Africa, the radio built most of them. Mm. There's very few that got popular outside of radio and the only ones that have broken through in the last couple of years have been through TikTok. Mm. Um, that's to say when we're talking about like, I, w- I would say mainstream white music, mm. if we have to talk about I'm a piano, I would say it's very much a case of one TikTok. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, this is the strange thing about it. It's like the, the method of discovery for the music is still very much like word of mouth. Mm. But if you look at like streaming services, they're the most streamed songs. Well, so, like I'm a pianist. Yeah. So like, it's huge right now. Yeah. I think, I think I can't remember if it was my Paris or Cubs of the Small was like yeah. the most streamed artist on Apple Music. Mm. Um, and to con- I mean, if you to take into consideration the, the level. Like what you're hearing so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking subscribe now button. Follow on YouTube, Instagram, and other platforms listed. Also, check out the website for more information. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for the support. Now back to the show. Of penetration of like streaming services in mm. the country is still relatively low if you mm. compare it to the population. Mm. It's still really impressive that a genre that nobody knew mm. three years ago 
is now mm-hmm. the most streamed genre yeah. in in South Africa. And that's not just South African music. That's putting it up against Drake and, oh, wow. and, and international yeah, artists. Yeah, obviously they're having, um, I might be in a conferences and concerts in the UK. Yeah. Devon Coco was there. Casper Universe was there. Um Maparisa, all these guys were yeah. all there. I mean, it's amazing to see. But this is the thing for me is I, like I don't I don't know if we'll ever see South African artists performing at that level that aren't completely it isn't like a completely South African thing. So by that I mean if you look at like I'm a piano, if you yeah. look at Black Coffee playing like mm. Afro House. Mm people buy into it because it's different, but mm. we not necessarily, as, as I speak for myself and I speak yeah. for the industry, the yeah. sort of part of the industry that I'm in, we play a lot of international music. We yeah. don't play a lot of local music. There's very few artists that have made that sort of, sort of bridge that gap making the kind of music that we do because mm. there's more competition, mm. better, the kind of better. So mm. like the way to get out of the country or to start touring internationally is to do something that, People aren't doing that. No one has ever heard yeah, of before. Exactly. Okay. Nobody's going to book some guy from South Africa that's making the same thing that they can As book. Tiesto is. Exactly. There's never going to be a South African Tiesto. Mm. Best example is somebody like Carl Watson. And mm. even him, like he's created a sound that's unique to him. Mm. And people have, I mean, it's not that far removed, but it's, it's unique enough that people can mm. identify with it and buy into it. Mm. But if you had to try, if you had to try and be the South African Avicii, nobody would care. No one's gonna. <laughs> no one. It's the same. It's the same. The so same sad. goes for like, and this is the interesting thing. The same goes for like. That I mean, was my favorite teacher. So sad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same that goes for for pop artists. And yeah. That's, that's something that I, I, when I worked at Universal and then leaving Universal, a lot of people would sort of ask me when they they have a, like a son or a. A nephew or a friend who can sing and then they'd send the music and it literally sounds the same as like a sam smith or mm. a john legend mm. or and all i can say to people like that is if you sound exactly like them why would somebody want to buy your cd yeah. or stream your song as opposed to theirs when they already know who those people are they're really established they've already got a marketing team they've really got the they exactly. hold on the market so exactly. they want to just copy them exactly why yeah. would somebody want to listen to you so the only way you can stand out is to be different mm. um and that also comes at a cost because mm. you now if you really love john legend and you've spent your whole life singing john legend covers yeah how do you now suddenly go okay well I'm, i want to be like this other uh, another a cooler version of ed sheeran kind yeah. of thing it, it just it's a very complex uh, thing to try and describe to somebody. Like, how do you how do you break into the scene, or mm. how do you how do you get established from nowhere? Mm. Because, as I said, the platforms that were there aren't there anymore. Mm. It's more than just it will make a good song because mm. it has to be a really good, good song, song yeah. for it to actually stand out. Yeah, I heard a story about Calvin Harris, um, the guy who makes the most money as a DJ. Is that still the case now? Actually, no, no, I haven't. I didn't see what it was last year, but I think it was probably because the majority of his money was coming from doing like just Vegas shows, and with mm-hmm. Vegas being closed, yeah. probably not the case last year. Yeah. Um, but it, I imagine moving forward, it was. I mean, when you're getting paid like two million dollars for a weekend, it's, yeah. it's not a bad cash king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should get him on the show one day. <laughs> like Calvin, how do you make all this money? So I heard uh, that he, and this was just a strictly guy. Don't quote me on this. Um, I heard that he, when you started out, 
he had a few songs, was it one song or a few songs, and then someone gave him like a million pounds to go and market the F out of that those few songs and then look and behold, this is where we are now. Wow. I didn't know that. But yeah, that's but what, I, yeah. I can imagine it does have a huge impact on you when you're able to reach the people because mm. that that's 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 kind of the, the hardest thing at the moment is like how do you reach an audience with your music mm. when especially like I say like the platforms that were there are no longer a few there. years ago are no longer there if you had a million pound budget to just go and put billboards of yourself around the city and, yeah. and just like hand out free samples maybe mm. that's what they did back then like you could definitely build a I mean you you kind of see it with a few artists that like you'll always it's quite easy to see like the people who like rely on their parents money mm. like they'll pay for like a nasty c feature on their track mm. or they'll have a music video and that kind of thing and you you can always be like okay this yeah. this person's parents have money they because them, yeah. Yeah, yeah you can always see like mm. you didn't build this yourself with mm. the music that you're making you're kind of like trying to take the shortcut to success by mm piggybacking of somebody else that's just going to be like, cool, give me. But do you think there's something wrong with that? I don't think there's something wrong with mm. it. I just think it's people, I think it's the same, I guess it's capitalism. The market will judge whether they want to, <laughs> to buy into it or not. And more often that's than not. That's a good answer. That's a very good answer, yeah. More often than not, people are just going to go, eh. like, mm. if it's a great song, well, cool. I mean, if you can do that and you can use it to, to kind of uh, emphasize or, elevate your your mm. persona by working or collaborating with people that charge you mm. 100,000 rand for a feature then yeah. cool but also it's no, it's there's no shortcut to yeah. to getting heard it's that being said as well like some people do somehow find a very short straight route mm. they're kind of like i mean a good example is like there was a track that blew up on tiktok last year I should really explore this TikTok thing. Like, <laughs> no, like I really like as a as a somebody that indulges in it. I've never made mu it like I've never focused on trying to promote my music on it. It's always been like a platform to just make stupid content, mm -hmm. um, and it was something that I was very much against before the end of last year. And then January, I was like, I mean, I used to make stupid videos on Instagram. Might as well make stupid videos on TikTok, and I'd made like a couple, and they'd get like. Two three hundred thousand views, and I was like, oh, okay, well, this resonates with people. Mm. Um, but it's like some people just they just do this, like, and you can always see, like, okay, cool, you still live at home, you yeah. don't have like you can make all twenty these, videos a week, yeah. um, and that's. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I think, but that's a that's a that's another example of how like these things just happen. Like, mm. That's the thing with entertainment, like, mm. there's no. There's no formula. There's mm. no way of. I mean, the, the dude just literally pointing at things yeah, that are stupid. He just yeah. points at it. Now he's worth two million US dollars in eighteen months. It's mad. Yeah, the so, most followers on TikTok. Uh, he's amazing. I, I love it. So, um, so with you, so your genre is electronic house, EDM, electro dance music. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't use the word EDM mm. just because that sort of became known for. Or, or I'd say like what the the Tiestos and the Avicis, mm. although like I would say electronic dance music encompasses multiple genres. Oh, EDM yeah. just kind of got associated with like progressive electro house. Yeah, the genre that I would classify myself as it's difficult because like 
under the um, house umbrella, you still have deep house and you have tech house and you have a little bit of techno. But it, I wouldn't say like I'm confined to just one. I kind mm -hmm. of move between. It's more of a fluid thing, moving between them. Whatever I feel like making, I'll make. Whatever I feel like playing, I'll play. Mm -hmm. But what this was a thing I alluded to earlier. It's like I'd say 2010, 2009. Like house music was house music. There wasn't mm -hmm. that big of a difference in genres. It was like if you liked house music, you listened to everything from Avicii or mm -hmm. Chris Lake to DJ Kent, mm. Euphonic, uh, Mikasa, like you would listen to all of those. Now it's become a little bit more polarized as like, if you're white, you listen to this. If you're black, you listen to this. It's like, it's not a case of like, the, unless you now you look at something like Osama. It's like, mm. there's always these things, these songs that sort of weave their way through cultures mm. that you can gain. It's something you can never plan. Mm. Ideally, as a South African artist, you want that to happen for you, mm. where you want a track to appeal to as many demographics as possible. Mm. But if you have to try and target as many de demographics as possible, you usually end up falling short because mm. you throw out a wide net, it means it's it has bigger holes. Yeah, exactly. gonna, people are going to just, yeah. yeah. But sometimes this happens. And I mean, it's amazing to see. Like, I played a gig on Friday in Pretoria, mm. super white. And like these <laughs> three kids at the front were like, play Osama, play Osama. I'm like, Wow. No, okay. No, because the guy before me played it, but no, <laughs> like I'm not going to do that. Yeah. But I was just like, yeah, if he hadn't, I probably would have. Because mm. I mean, it's just one of those things that a good another good example is Timo DV, a good friend of mine. 2015 song that he made, Save Me. Pretty much, if it had, I think it was like maybe a hundred plays less than Shumaya, like. Really? It was it lost the most played song on radio by like when I say like a few hundred or like under a hundred. It was very close. Mm -hmm. And that's just another example of like a song that just so happens that I mean that was never his intention. Mm -hmm. I've spoken to him a lot about it. Like it just kind of happened that it just resonated and it didn't it wasn't constricted to one culture or one demographic. It just mm -hmm. it played from five FM to Metro. It was mm -hmm. like it just people it just blew up. Yeah. yeah, Mikasa was a good example as mm -hmm. well. And that was the thing in the early days, Soul Candy well, that was them. That they, was them, yeah. They, they like, built, yeah, both whether you were candy, yeah. yeah, whether you were going out to Stones in Edenvale or mm -hmm. you're going out to somewhere in Alex, like mm -hmm. you were listening to the songs that they were releasing or mm -hmm. putting on their compilations. Um and I guess like most things it's just become like a polarizing you either listen to this or you listen to that. But it's no it's never like that, right? Like in real life, because for me, I'll listen to Avicii and I'll listen to Black Coffee. Then I'll go to Shemza. Then I'll go back to Tiesto. Mm. Maybe I'm just weird. <laughs> but it, like, as if you say it's polarizing, is one person, I don't think a person listens to just one no, type no, no, of music. No, no, yeah. no, they don't. But unfortunately, like, you kind of, when it comes to music, people don't listen. Like, maybe there's a few people that are like, say the, the big majority of people will listen to a very small handful of songs at mm. any given time and that's kind of what it was popular mm. so if you're not in that little sphere of what's popular and that's kind of what i mean by like i'm a piano is massive like mm. if you look at the top 20 stream songs in the country at the moment like yeah 16 of them are i'm a piano yeah. and that's not because it's like and maybe maybe it's maybe it's wrong to say that it's it's polarizing on like a on like a race or demographic level it's just mm. kind of like 
wherever the the crowd is is where the people will go it's not mm-hmm. like you're going to have um people it's not like you're going to have people listening to five different genres they kind of like the the 20 percent of like 80 percent of the people let's say like the 80 20 rule 80 percent of the people are going to listen to like 20 percent of the music mm. that's kind of how i, I view it anyway mm. and then how did you go uh, how did you select your genre was it something you just you just love listening to the music so you said yeah i'm gonna play this i don't think i ever made a conscious decision of like i'm gonna make this i mean obviously when i started early on it was, as I said, mm. those compilation, like those Soul Candy compilations that mm. like influenced me. And back in the day when I was learning how to DJ, that was what I would play. Mm. And then kind of you get, as you get more experience, you learn where to look for music and you get your, I guess your taste evolves a bit more. Mm. And then that was when like the EDM movement happened. Mm. And the Vici, Progressive House, that was the big thing. I mean, it was horrible trying to play that at like small venues in mm-hmm. Benoni because nobody <laughs> wanted to listen to like hard, like progressive house yeah. at, at eleven o'clock at night in a tiny little bar. Mm, yeah, uh, it was. But that, that's the kind of things that you learn. You learn how to play for the crowd in front of you. Mm. Um, but ultimately, it was just a case of like, okay, I like this. I don't like that. It was never. I have no. I've played very, very different genres before. Mm. Um, from I tried hip hop for a while, didn't work out so well. Mm-hmm. Tried trap, didn't work out so well. Drum and bass didn't work out so mm-hmm. well. Like I'd play it for like one gig. I remember I played like a U party. I think I actually played after your brother. Yeah. And uh, I tried to play like it was when trap had just, but it wasn't like it wasn't like what I would call trap now. It was like when like what is that? What was that trap? Um, Harlem Shake had sort of come out. It was like that mm. that kind of trap. I remember trying to play a mm. set like that, and literally all of these kids just left. They were like, no, 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 no. <laughs> what, what does that do for your ego? People just like disappear from basketball. I, was, I, I guess <laughs> I was just like, okay, that didn't work. Yeah. Moving on. I'm not going to try that. The next again. one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's the best way to do it when you're DJing is kind of like find the one or two people in the crowd that you mm. can see are like really there to have a good time yeah. and like judge by their their kind of uh, body language and what they're doing mm. if they're having a good time you're like ah, if these other people aren't i don't care i'm mm. playing for you yeah but then if they stop then you're like mm, oh, okay oh, that one oh, didn't work let's, let's that try <laughs> yeah, quickly change the track so that's oh, the kind of thing. Track. Yeah. Like, do you like so when uh, things are not working out in your set what do you do to try and you know Try win this and try save my my mm. my my set. What do you do? I guess you just kind of fall back on the tracks that you know work mm. and that people are familiar with. Like lately, with the kind of music I play, the tech house, it's it's cheesy remixes of, mm. or, or I guess remixes of cheesy songs. Like <laughs> I mean, there's uh, pump up the jam. Mm. Like uh, I, I made a remix of Sweet Dreams. So like when it's when you can see that the energy's dropped and like. Because, I mean, there's no need to really play them if you can see people are having a good time. But mm. when you see that the energy is dropped, it's kind of like, okay, now I've got to pick things up again. And you mm. know you can go back to them. And as soon as mm. you play something that people can recognize yeah. and they really want to, like, get on the dance floor for, then you know, okay, this mm. has brought them back. I can yeah. play one, sort of see if it's going to last. If it's not mm. going to last, okay, now I have to play another one, yeah. another one. And then, I mean, an hour goes by really quickly yeah, when yeah, you're playing. Yeah. I mean, most most sets at the moment for guys here anyway or like an hour so mm. you're just kind of rolling through maybe 12 15 tracks i mean that's not hard to do mm. um 
I kind of I can't imagine what it's like being like some of these European DJs that play from like three in the morning till seven in the morning. Jeez, like, how do they do that? I think it was I think it was Solomon. There was like a a set that he played somewhere recently, like when festivals just started opening mm-hmm. up, and he played like a four hour set or five hour set, and I was like. Wow, this man must be on so many drugs. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's another thing. That's, a, that's another thing. I think is a, I don't know if it's a myth or not. Um, of the entertainment industry is the rock and roll kind of lifestyle. Mm. Is it's all about sex, drugs, rock and roll? You're on fifteen different types of narcotics just to keep yourself going, and then when you're depressed, you take that again. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of people who are built off of ego and a lot of divas and, you know, that, that entire perception of entertainment. Could you shed some light on what your experience of that is? If is it false, is it? I think I think what's false about it is probably the, the misconception that it's like a ego and we want to party kind of thing. Oh, like, okay. I think if we can, like, I, I would say you could probably attribute it to why I eventually end up committing suicide or overdosing mm. was if you look at like most most DJs or mm. the, the nature of being a music producer I would almost say is like you enjoy your time by yourself because mm. you wouldn't be able to sit in a room for eight hours at an end basically sitting by a computer making music like mm. you you most I would say music producers are I guess it's a generalization, but I would assume most music producers are like me and most of them are introverted. Mm. You now throw those people, especially when they have that kind of success, onto Mm. a stage where they're Mm. faced with 50,000 people every single night. Mm. I mean, I see it on a lot smaller scale with some DJs here. Mm. Guys, that they're not the same person they are if they don't have like a bottle of tequila. Oh, okay. Like I would say... The assumption that most DJs are like partying because it's fun is probably wrong. It's more a case of, well, the only way to get on the same page as these thousands of people in front of you is to be on some kind of narcotic or, mm. or, or alcoholic beverage. Mm. Um, and I, I've, I've witnessed it with people. is like people who will drink friday saturday sunday just to be able to relate to people and you can understand why if you've ever been sober in a club you can very easily understand Mm -hmm. why as a dj you're now faced with these people that are like tugging at you they're trying to get a picture with you they're trying when you're playing you want to be able to feel how they Mm -hmm. feel you you don't want to like play and then not be able to connect with them and I, i i'm the same like if i have a couple of drinks while i'm playing i feel like i play better Maybe mm. I'd not, but I, in my mind, I'm like, I'm enjoying this way more mm. than if I had to be sober. And I think the same goes for drugs. It's like, especially when we talk about guys that are touring two, 250, 300 days yeah. of the year, the only way you survive being able to go from one nightclub playing two o'clock in the morning, catch a flight to another city or another country is like, you have to be on something. Yeah, like it's, it's very, very difficult. You either have to be on drugs or mm. you have to be very, very mindful, mm. like meditate and mm. sip on cocoa leaf kind of extract <laughs> or something. Whatever they yeah, use. Yeah, sniffing essential oils or whatever it might be. But you, you can't, it's not a sustainable thing. And that's why you see most guys, like as soon as they have kids, they're like, I'm out. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to carry on doing this because like mm. now their life has, more purpose to them than just this pursuit of fame or money. Mm. It's like, mm. well, actually, this lifestyle isn't 
what it's meant to be. Mm. Um, it'll be interesting to see, though, if, like now that people have had a break for the last couple of months mm. and have, are getting back into it now. Like It's not a case of like, okay, well, we've got a couple of local shows now. It's like people are back to touring the world pretty yeah. much. I mean, I saw Diplo, I think last week or the week before, had played like his first European gig since March last year. And it's going to be interesting to see if now people go back into it as hard as what they were before playing mm. every night mm. all over, all over the world um because you've 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 had this break maybe you've reassessed like this isn't actually the lifestyle that i mm. want or you just like yeah i missed it i'm yeah. gonna go back into it and i think we're we're kind of creatures of habit you could see it when like <laughs> moment gatherings were allowed again people took off their masks yeah. at, like a club or whatever and they were literally back to acting like they were before there wasn't mm. for most people anyway it wasn't mm. a case of like oh we've got to be careful it was like yeah back like we're just kind of creatures of habit in that sense mm. and what about the people that you play for people who keep go to clubs and go to nightclubs um, is it a sense of that they just want to number one just have a great time or is it because they have some stuff to deal with that they are there consistently because those people who go out oh god every other Friday or yeah. Saturday those people were there Friday, yeah. Saturday, Sunday and then if they've got a yeah. day job they'll take a break and then even then they'll yeah. like I'm gonna go I mean I know break. some people in Cape Town who have day jobs who go out from like Tuesday <laughs> night until the Sunday and why is that? Um, I, 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 it's hard for me to understand because I can't really put myself in their shoes because I've never mm. been that kind of person but I imagine it does have something to do with just kind of wanting to escape reality it's why people enjoy drinking when they get home mm. to escape the, the the kind of uh the stresses of everyday life um coming from a household i guess where my parents were like that i can i can see it now as an adult like why you would do that why mm. you would want to get away from like the pressure of your your day of your nine to five you mm. have a couple of glasses of wine or some people a lot of people now especially will smoke some weed like mm. to escape that like normality of life or the stress of life and just get away from it i mean i have a friend who like wakes up immediately as he wakes up he smokes a bong and like oh. he functions fully and okay. i mean he's he's one of those people that like he doesn't need to not do that because like he's so good at he's like he's self-shoot and like he's so good at what he does mm. he doesn't need to worry about that. like mm. he functions better when in his mind anyway, he functions better when he's done this. And mm. it's how he gets through life. Mm. Um, some people resort to like harder drugs to get away from that. And when they then come clean, or, or get clean rather, they then replace that addiction with exercise mm. or, or some kind of hobby or, or something else that they can like really, I guess, jump into the deep end with. Mm. Um, and and uh, I would imagine it's the same reason we go to gym. It's mm. like there's there's the the physical achievement and the, the the growth that you can see, but also it's just the getting out of what you getting out of your head and yeah. into some a different oh, okay. space. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, um, I get it. That was why I enjoyed taking up golf because like you can't think of anything else when you play golf. Yeah, because the moment you do, it's you, gone. It's gone. Yeah. and then you hate your time. So like, the, <laughs> I was when I was stressing uh, like couple of years ago I just went through a stage where I was like quite depressed mm. and I was just like playing golf regularly because it was like the only thing that took my mind off of what was going on was yeah. like I'm just going to do this because if I don't mm. 
if if I'm thinking about something else, I'm gonna shank the ball that way, or mm. I'm gonna be more angry. So like, yeah, this is all I can think about. Oh, okay, okay. So I've, I've got a question uh, about because we did talk about, um, and you mentioned uh, mentioned one of his names, uh, Nastisi, and then we've got who else is quite big in this country? We've got Casper, you've got Black Coffee. Um, those are what I consider mega stars in mm-hmm. SA in their specific industry. However, they're very few and far and far between. Mm. If you compare them to the United States, we go there were a lot, a lot more stars in Europe, a lot more stars. Um, is do you see at any point where SA catches up um, to the level of stars and level of celebrity and um, you know just uh, just being able to at least get our name out there mm. as such as a United States or a Europe. Well, I imagine it's it's kind of like what we say. We only really know about those people in the states because they've crossed that mm. that boundary of getting mm. out and appealing into the rest of the world. I imagine there's millions of artists that we don't know about, but yeah. who have a following of a hundred, two hundred thousand people mm. that they can play to regularly, Money and that would be those. yeah. Uh, uh, we know about like they're mega stars. Mm. I would imagine the only way you get, like, if you think about Brazil, Brazil mm. has how many hundred, hundred and fifty million people. There's yeah. artists in Brazil that we don't know, but who mm. make as much money as, like, maybe not as a Jay Z, mm. but like they're making millions of dollars mm. just because there's a hundred million people that they appeal to that mm. speak their language mm. that we will never know. Mm. The same goes for India. Same goes for China. Like, there's probably artists in China that we. We just simply don't know. You might get like a BTS one day that blows up out of China that we're like, oh, cool. This is like some new form mm. of music that we in the Western world aren't aware of. But in South Africa, just there's so many limitations when it comes to getting your music heard. Mm. That like when the technology catches up, and this is what I'm, what we're seeing at the moment, we're sort of living it. Mm. Now that the, te- the access to technology to be able to listen to music is becoming more affordable, you're mm. not able to buy a smartphone for a thousand rand. You mm. can get uh, Deezer or Jukes or YouTube Music or, mm. or, or, or Spotify. Or yeah. any of these, yeah. You're now seeing that these genres, these locally made genres are performing on these streaming services. It's not a case of, well, whatever's selling in music or we're going to go buy the latest now CD, that kind mm. of thing. It's like, well, now these genres are being made here mm. and people have a connection to it. So they're listening to it a little bit more. So we're kind of living through this building period of like, how are we, what's, what is that going to be like? Look, I don't think we're ever going to get to people in South Africa only being able to come here and play in South Africa kind of mm. thing um, and make, half as much money as they could if they, they've moved overseas and you kind of see that happening mm. with people like Black Coffee. Mm. Nasty is he going to New York to go and like grow his brand, that kind of thing. Mm. For, I guess, us as South Africans, the only way that we can grow is to be able to try and build the scene and build the technology and rel- I guess it's the kind of same thing. It's like we rely so heavily on how much the cost of data is going to be yeah. to be able to reach people. Um, cost of data is too damn high. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's the thing is there's so many reasons that you won't succeed here. Mm. The people, and that's why the people and so few far between that make it 
there's so many reasons that you could just carry on doing what you're doing and just nobody ever knows about you. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people that do, I would, I mean, this is a viewpoint that I hold that I don't know if many people do, but like the barrier to entry in South Africa is actually quite low. Mm-hmm. If you think about in terms of quality anyway, like there might, there might be a lot of attributing factors that lead you to getting to being successful. Mm-hmm. But when you're there, like you don't have to hold a very high standard for people mm-hmm. to listen to your music. Like if you listen to some of the stuff that local artists release, it's like very poor. And <laughs> for for the duration, I mean, I mean this seriously. Like, the <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Like, I'm sure some you people. You think you can do this to me? <laughs> you. M- like, for as long as we don't hold artists to a higher caliber. Mm. who are at that level we don't then grow to be able to compete like i'm a piano is a good example mm. fantastic concept very well it sort of comes from a place where people can like resonate with it and that's why it does well but if you have to look at it from like a musicality and like a music production point of view mm. it's very poor mm. that's not to say that people who make it untalented it's mm. just you don't need to do much like you <laughs> if you think about like if you listen to the actual like beats of these tracks yeah they're not very complex and mm. they all use the same kind of sound and but that's the thing that is what makes it mm. but if you aren't if, if you have to play that on like a uk or us radio station or try and get it on those stations they're mm. never gonna play it why not because it's too basic not that it's too basic. It's just mixed poorly. Like okay. the, the quality in it. I can tell you're a purist, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's just something that I, that I feel like if, okay, I'm a pianist back because that's the only thing I can really mm. hold against it. But like if you listen to like South African pop music, a mm. lot of it is not great. Oh, wow. Um, it's just a case of, and that's why like the people that do do well, like a Matthew Mole or Jeremy Loops are still around. 10 years later because mm-hmm. they've just been consistent. You don't hear of a lot of guys, even though there are tons of people who want to be them and who are trying to be them. Mm. They're just not at that standard where you're, you're causing them to elevate their game mm. to like, okay, well, how are we? So the only way they're doing it is like, okay, well, now we've got to get out of the country. And the only mm. way we get out of the country is if we write better songs, we collaborate with better producers, we work with better songwriters. That's mm. how they then get out of the country. And then they get out of the country. And then what reason do they have to come back? Mm, you look at a goldfish, like they can sustain themselves playing mm. shows in the US. They don't need to come back. They can come back once a year. Mm. But once these people have left, they don't really do much to grow the scene here. Yeah. And I guess that's, we, as I said, we're sort of living through it. Mm-hmm. If we see now that more and more artists are getting booked overseas, maybe it's the Ama Piano guys. If they come back and invest some of that money instead of spending it on Gucci, like <laughs> invest it in building the infrastructure, please. I leave them. They need the Gucci bags, right? <laughs> okay, Eddie, we're uh, about to get to a point of wrapping up. We'll probably go on for like another two, three hours, but yeah. you know, let's uh, keep it short. I'll probably invite you for a session two cool. in like a couple of months from now. Um, so, as a final word, let's say you've got seven billion or, or seven and a half billion people listening to you. Um, through the lens of music all of them are musicians they're artists they're DJs producers singers rappers the whole lot um, what would you what, was, what would be your piece of wisdom that you would share with them that's a tough one mm. 
That's why I asked. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that the most the most appealing thing that you could try and convince people of, of at that scale mm. that they would be able to understand is that life is too short to chase something that somebody as I guess this is what your whole podcast is about is somebody mm. else's plan for you. Mm. It's like you you don't have enough time to sit around and wait for an opportunity to happen. You have to go out and get it yourself. If yeah. the doors that you want, I mean, I can't remember who said this to me, but if the doors that you want to open for you aren't opening, you build your own door. And mm. when it comes to music, that's the most appealing, or I would say that appeals to, applies to the most people rather. If people don't want to give you gigs, people don't want to book you, make a plan to throw your own events. If your mm -hmm. music's not getting heard, go out and speak to people, build a connection with them, find a platform, build a platform, be able to create a community around yourself that you can rely on. Don't mm -hmm. worry about what everyone else is doing. Yeah, that's, that's something that I've struggled with for the longest time is paying too close attention to what everyone else is doing rather than actually having a plan for myself. Yeah, And the moment you can separate yourself from what's going on around you where it influences you to the point that you're like i should be doing better or this person is doing more mm. than me and i mm. feel bad about it rather just focus on yourself stay in your own lane and have a vision for what you want to do don't rely on somebody else to to open the door for you because mm. the people around you that you're trying to compete with aren't waiting for those people they're doing it themselves or they're yeah. going out and building the relationships with the gatekeepers mm. and all you can do as an artist is really remain true to yourself in doing that because it's also if you sell your soul to try and get somewhere it's not very long until you find yourself very empty and very hollow and probably mm. on drugs yeah acid <laughs> no no i'm joking <laughs> all right cool thank you very much uh adrian that's uh Aiden K. Yeah. yeah. That's what we'll call you. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't you playing soon? Or are you playing somewhere this weekend? Yeah, yeah. I do these weekly events in Rosemary. Oh, uh, okay. Cool. I should, I should come through. Please do. What time is it? Yeah, 1 to 10. Well, on a Saturday or Sunday? Sunday. Oh, the Sunday. Okay, yeah. cool. All right, cool. That has been Aiden K. And this is myself and Jabulo James, uh, host of the NJ Podcast. And we talked about all things music and what we can do during this time of COVID to just sort of reassess and reevaluate ourselves and how we can grow the South African market and uh, you know, just raise a standard of for the work that is that we do. And that has been Aiden K. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, for this is the first one. We'll, we'll do another one <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> not too far in the future. And guys, remember that success is a progressive realization of where the ideal that means you're going after what you've always wanted to go after because it's aligned with your highest values. And that is the only way that you can truly live a truly fulfilled and inspired life. So you need to go out there and change the world because you are the only person who can. And I will see you on the next episode. Thank you very much, Adrian. Thanks, man. Thank you for joining us on this episode on the NJ Podcast. Make sure to visit the website at the njpodcast.captivateair.fm where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, all the other podcast platforms or via RSS so you never miss a show. You can also find the video content on the YouTube channel and Instagram page. That will be Njablo James on YouTube and Njablo.j.ngosi for Instagram. Please subscribe and follow on those platforms as well. And while you're at it, if you found value in the show we'd appreciate a rating on the podcast platforms or if you'd like to tell a friend about the show that will help us out too 
If you'd like more information about published or upcoming books, visit www.njablojames.com for more information. Please reach out if you'd like to share what you would like to hear and which guests should be invited to the show. And remember, success is a progressive realization of a worthy ideal, which means that you are doing what you have always wanted to do because it is aligned with your highest values and this is the only way you can live a truly fulfilled life. Now just chill until the next episode.